Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Has the Russian military exposed weaknesses that NATO military leaders may not have suspected? And what actions should or must NATO nations be willing to undertake now against Russia? Political decisions are being made not to attack, uh, not to put in place a no-fly zone. Although yesterday, our former chief of defense staff, General Rick Hillier, told us that he supports the idea of a no-fly zone and argues Putin would never reach for the nuclear button. Many questions to be answered, lots to look at. And uh, so, so what, do we, what do we get at here? Let's talk to Major General Jeffrey Schlosser, United States Army, former commanding officer of the 101st Airborne Division in Afghanistan. And he's the author of an amazing book. If you want to read a book about war fighting, about politics, about leadership, about challenges, read Marathon War. My Major General, General Jeffrey Schlosser. Uh, General, thank you very much for the time. Well, let me ask you, first of all, What's your reaction to the accusations of war crimes and even genocide against the Russian military and for what they're doing in Ukraine? Hey, Roy, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I, I would have to say that, uh, obviously, you know, any kind of war is brutal. And uh, and, and this one is, uh, I would just say, is particularly brutal. I don't know. You know, genocide's actually got an international law uh, definition to it. And uh, when actually nations decide that genocide's happening, actually, there's, you know, those that have signed an international covenant on it are actually supposed to uh, do things, in other words, to prevent the genocide. So I don't know. I mean, I frankly don't know if it meets the legal definition of it. But let me just tell you, as somebody that's fought, you know, in three wars, um, what's happening to the civilians by the Russian troops is incredibly uh, terrible and brutal and um it won't long be forgotten and this is something that uh, this is not going to be forgotten quickly this is going to be something that's going to be held against the russians and actually the russian people for a long time to come yeah i've uh, i've heard that even recently in the last two weeks or so given what's been seen to take place in places like bucha in uh, in ukraine there have been more military veterans of Western nations like the United States, like Canada, who said, I can't take this anymore. I can't stand watching this anymore. I'm going over there. And I understand there is a, a group of Canadian military veterans who will be going over in, in very short order. So it must be very hard for someone who has fought in war, who understands the brutality of war, and, and then see civilian populations uh, being assaulted as they are in Ukraine. That must be that must cause great con great consternation, great concern. Yeah, I, how mean, do you, I mean, how do you how do you deal with that as a soldier? It's really super hard. I mean, in other words, you try to uh, you know, in many cases, you internalize this stuff, boy. And, and you know, I mean, I as a commander in Afghanistan, uh, you know, I was responsible for. Um, you know, obviously killing the enemy, killing the Taliban, killing the uh, al-Qaeda terrorists. Uh, and from time to time, we would make an incredibly bad mistake. And, uh, and unfortunately, we have civilian casualties. And uh, they still, 13 years, 14 years later, they still, you know, burn in my mind. They burn my soul. So to set out, like these Russian troops have, uh, and actually 
indiscriminately, you know, bombshell. And in some cases, it almost looks, I would say it's purposeful uh, to create fear, to create, uh, you know, uh, refugees, to uh, basically clear out areas. To have that, I can't imagine a, a professional soldier having that on their mind. And so I, it's, it's hard for me to actually understand how the Russian leadership, you know, the professional officers are dealing with this or how they are actually doing it. it and that's how do I explain to our viewers or our listeners? I, I can't. I, you know, this is something that's a, it's a tragedy that we are finding ourselves, in a sense, deterred from actually intervening in this process. And I, by that I mean, you know, NATO uh, uh, and, of course, other nations that uh, care about, uh, you know, uh, uh, civilian casualties around yeah. the world. General Schlosser, uh, have the people of Ukraine received less protection and support than they should have from the West and from NATO. Seeing what we're seeing, I don't know what's magical about that line that separates Ukraine from Poland other than it's the NATO demarcation uh, line, but don't they deserve more protection than than they're getting? I mean, I know they're getting weapons to help their military, which is punching above its weight. They're just doing an incredible, incredible job defending their country. But the people themselves, should we not be doing more for them? I mean, I think so. Um, you know, I'm no longer, uh, you know, in public service. Uh, and so it's easy for me to say. But, uh, you know, looking backwards over 35 years, 34 years of my military service, and, and, and of course, you know, wars are fought in and around civilian populations. They're, they're fought usually for political reasons. Um, and alliances do make a huge difference. But what we've found here is, is that, I think all of us know, citizens as well as politicians, we know what the right answer is. And it is not just giving arms to the Ukrainians and expecting them to be able to fight a, you know, a large country like Russia uh, with, you know, more advanced weapons. We know that there's a different answer out there and a better answer. We can't find ourselves to get to it because we find ourselves deterred by this potential that uh, Russia would go nuclear. And I cannot believe that this is the the final answer. We're not going to allow, I don't think, the, the partitioning of Ukraine. But it's going to take a while for us to find a solution uh, beyond where we're currently at. So, so today, President Zelensky met with uh, U.S. Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense. And he said he's going to make it very clear what Ukraine requires. I think they've been doing it for some time, asking for the no-fly zone, which uh, the former Supreme Commander of NATO uh, U.S. Air Force General Philip Breedlove has said he supports, and uh, former Chief of Defense Staff for Canada General Rick Hillier uh, has also said he supports. Um, what about that? Would you would would you would you feel is there a is there a case to be made, a logical case to be made for a no-fly zone? Because emotionally, I'm sitting here in front of my microphone, and I'm going to tell you ten times out of ten, I'm going to say get it up there, but. Right. I hear the other argument. Well, there's clearly a you know humanitarian case for a no-fly zone, but you know from my personal experience, both in Iraq, let's talk Iraq. Um, uh, we established two no-fly zones: Northern Watch, Southern Watch, and you know uh, we did it with a coalition of countries. But the way that it was actually done uh, would be perceived as an act of war. In other words, you destroy all of the air defense uh, capability of the country. Uh, if it turns on its radar system, it dies. Basically, you destroy it. Um, 
and, uh, and so that would mean right around the entire area, including those areas that are right in the Russian, you know, on Russian uh, uh, land. And then anything that flies would be would be shot down. Um, could do it, it'll do this? Absolutely. Could we do it in two or three days? Probably. Uh, biggest question of it is, is could we signal uh, enough resolve and yet also to the Russians for them to understand that this is the new reality we've just established in the fly zone. But the new reality is, is that's it. We're not going to we're not trying to go to a you know complete war, conventional war with uh, Russia. And um, and we we would have to try to deter them from going and and basically you know being more aggressive and in other words probably trying to use tactical nuclear weapons or something of that nature. It's it's a, it's a real problem. My heart does go and say, yeah, we need a no, no fly zone. The technical realities of establishing it, our military realities are it's not as hard as it, as it sounds. The technical reality, the political reality of keeping. Uh, Russia then from making a more aggressive move. That's the move. That's really hard. Yeah. I just have a feeling that sooner or later we won't have any choice. But you're the uh, you're the man who is put in charge of the 101st Airborne Division of the United States Army. And that is a, a big job, a major job. And you understand uh, these situations better than I do. I'm just speaking from the heart. But, you know, the Russians show no indication in general of stopping their vicious assaults against the civilian population. So I said, just sit here, and I say we have a moral responsibility to intercede. Um, the book is Marathon War. General Schlosser, if I can ask you to take us inside Marathon War, because there's so much that you write about, so much about leadership, so many challenges that, that, that are faced. What inside the book is a, something we can take away as we look at the situation in, uh, in, in Ukraine what can, what can we take from your book and apply to what we're seeing? You know, Roy, uh, people ask me that uh, frequently now, and they try to, you know, um, have me try to take some lessons that we learned in Afghanistan and compare them to Ukraine. And let me just give you one uh, that is, it, to me, is startling. Starting. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, it's, it's just startling to me, I guess. And that is, I talk about, how when I went to Ukraine, I you know, or to Afghanistan, I wasn't aware of the level of corruption, endemic corruption throughout civil society, throughout uh, all of Afghanistan, both in the all in the tribes as well as all the way up in the government. And that led, I think, overall. I mean, you know, as I look backwards to the debacle, not only of the withdrawal um, by the United States out of uh, Afghanistan, but also the very poor fighting that was done, you know, by the Afghan government troops. The corruption made a huge difference. And I think that that is probably where I could put my finger and say that's one of the key reasons Afghanistan fell the way they did and uh, were beat by the Taliban. Uh, I look at the Ukraine and there may be a levels of corruption there that I am unaware of, but what you are seeing is is that it's whatever level of corruption that there is inside, you know, either civil society, inside business, or in the government, um, it is nothing like Afghanistan. And, and instead, what you have is this will that, you know, that's all I can frame it, Roy, is, is it's a will to live as a Ukrainian. Uh, the will to live on your own land, the, li- the will to have your own type of a government. Um, and it's so different from what I saw in Afghanistan towards the latter part of, uh, you know, my time there commanding the 101st and uh, Regional Command East. It's just this idea that, uh, um, you know, 
this country is my country. I'm going to fight for it. And as you just mentioned before, you know, the situation in Mariupol may well be that. They may fight to the end. And with many of their families, those soldiers there, uh, if the Russians don't allow them some sort of way to get on out of there or do some sort of a political uh, or a you know, prisoner type of a, um, you know, agreement. Anyway, that's where I would say, Roy, it's, you know, corruption in Afghanistan doomed it in many cases. Um, and you just don't see that in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, during our first conversation, early in our first conversation, General Slosser, you talked about the um, withdrawal from Afghanistan, which was not professional, undignified, very concerning about what it did to the Afghan people who'd worked with the United States and worked for Canada because our withdrawal was just as chaotic. But you said what took place is really just going to create the kind of dynamic where 10 years from now, the U.S. will probably be facing what you faced prior to 9-11. There'll be a rebirth of terrorism and, you, and your country is going to face what you faced prior to 9-11. If the Russians are not confronted, if there, if there isn't a really clear message sent that we're not going to tolerate the kind of total destruction of a population that you're involved with, we're going to stop you. If we don't do it there, we're going to have to do it somewhere, are we not? Don't Putin will just be encouraged to to go somewhere else and, and do this again, don't you think? It's not only Putin, Roy. It's uh, others that are watching from around the world. Um, that, uh, you know, the Chinese are watching this situation very closely. So are the North Koreans, so are the Iranians. So I could go on and on. Um, this cannot be a false red line that we allow it to kind of just get crumbled, crushed. I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, it's not satisfactory just to supply arms and then say, Ukraine, it's up to you to win this all by yourself. And if you don't, it's, it's too bad. Because uh, as you say, what's happening on the ground is... Um, if it ends up in the partition of the Ukraine uh, by forcible action by the Russians, by the, by the Russian president, but also by Russians. I mean, let's be clear, the soldiers are fighting this, and there is some level of support to uh, this uh, from the Russian people, uh, although it's pretty hard to tell how much they know of the real facts. But uh, my personal belief is, just as you said, that there's something has to be done to say, this will not stand. I mean, I, I remember that's what President Bush said when uh, uh, the former President Bush, Father Daddy Bush, or whatever you want to call him, uh, when uh, Kuwait was invaded. And, uh, and I personally believe it's going to have to be something like that. Uh, we can't allow it. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.